With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa Pork Farmer. Thank you to the Iowa Pork Consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Pour one more beer for me. Exile means quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your exile. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace. It is the month of April, and... Steve and I thought we'd roll out another round of uh, taking some of your questions from Twitter. Appreciate the involvement many of you threw at us on Sunday when I threw that question out. And I think we have enough here for a nice, robust discussion across a potpourri of topics. Let's go first with uh, Ryan Denman, um, IA Big FB. So, Iowa Big Ten football asks us, if you were Brian Ferentz, how would you attack Wisconsin's 3-4 defense? I will go first since I actually read this one earlier and kind of have a thought in mind and give you a couple of seconds. You probably don't need it, but I would attack it straightforward. I would not employ the zone blocking scheme. I wouldn't. I mean, I would have it in there. I would mix things up, but I would do far more hat-on-hat blocking. I would do far more assignment blocking. I would do far more uh, trapping that that's how I would I would run right at him, you know, because what we see from the three four, especially the way Wisconsin plays it, and folks, Wisconsin plays it incredibly well, among the mm-hmm. best of anybody in college football at playing this. You don't know where the backers are coming from, and they knife those backers against Iowa's zone scheme. They send them on angles that are there, like we talked about in last week's podcast. How James Daniels is so important. The Iowa center is so important to their offense. That center has to look for that that backside knifer, and Wisconsin just does it so well. I'd run right at him. Yeah, I agree with you. And if you and I and I think there's more you could do too. If you look at how the three four defense has evolved in the NFL, what, what Wisconsin is running is a variation of the Blitzburg defense that the Steelers. Um, that they pioneered in the mid to late 90s and uh, early 2000s under Bill Cower, and that that defense was was the 
you know, there's always ebbs and flows. When a new trend starts up, something counters it, right? And so the West Coast offense was dominating the NFL at that time. And, you know, we remember from our childhood, Joe Montana, three-step drops, hitting John Taylor and Jerry Rice in stride. Mm. And those guys going for, you know, taking slant routes, breaking one tackle and going to the house. The, the zone blitz scheme with a 3-4 was devised by Bill Cowher and those Steeler teams to counter that. And, and, and so what you'd have is, is they, only, they only ever rushed four to five, maybe six guys. You just didn't know which guys right. they were. And, and so, you know, Greg Lloyd would blitz one play and Kevin Green would drop into a, would drop into a zone to cut off that quick hot read, or, and then they'd, they'd switch it back and forth. Wisconsin does a lot of that. And, and to me, I, I think if I were attacking Wisconsin, I would approach it as you're a boxer and you're kind of stammering at the end of a fight and you tell the trainer, I'm seeing two of them. What does the trainer tell you to do? Hit, Hit the, the one, one in the middle. middle. Yeah. I, I think I think you actually simplify things all the more against them. And we played in, in the Rose Bowl, we being Michigan. I know you always have to clarify when I say that. <laughs> we played Washington in the in the early nineties in back to back Rose Bowls, who has a who at that time played a defensive scheme very similar to what Wisconsin plays now with a lot of speed at linebacker. Now, these Wisconsin teams don't have a Steve Etman at the nose. Remember how great he was back in the day? Mm-hmm. He was unblockable. They don't have a player like that, but they have that kind of speed and, and versatility at linebacker. And the first year we played them, they just completely dominated us. We, we couldn't, we, we, and it's because we were trying to guess. We tried to guess which downs who and or which play who was coming at us on which down the next year we played them we we changed it around when we played them in the rose bowl the second time and what we and that was the game ty wheatley had 235 yards and that was a rose bowl record and and how and he gashed them the same way on every run go back that rose bowl runs on espn classic all the time he gashed them up the middle quick hitters we had, a, we had a guy who went on to be a Pro Bowl tight end, Tony McGee, for the Cincinnati Bengals for many years. What we, we, ran, we ran two plays in that game into the ground. One play was we faked the quick hitter to Tyrone Wheatley, and then we hit Tony McGee in that seam where, where the blitzers are up the field for big plays. Mm-hmm. And then we ran to keep them honest, and we beat them with quick hitters up the middle. And I think I think if you have if you if your lineman can play that man ball and hold the point of attack long enough, easier said than done. Very few college offensive lines are capable of doing that these days. If you can do that though, you can find some plays to exploit. But Wisconsin's defensive scheme is is meant to take advantage of the fact that there's not a lot of great physical hat on a hat offensive lines left in college football like there were in the 80s and in the you know when we were most most teams in college football have questionable offensive lines even some good teams have questionable offensive lines and that's where they have to they have to run spread in in different kinds of uh you know gimmicky sorts of offenses to essentially alleviate and take the pressure off of their offensive linemen but if you can put a hat on a hat quickly at the point of attack you have to gash them right up the middle. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next question comes from uh, Majestic Scott. What happens first? Iowa goes back to the Big Ten championship game in football, 
or men's basketball enters the NCAA tournament as a four seed or better, I would say fairly easily, and I'm not saying it's easy it's going to happen, but the easier path for Iowa is the Big Ten championship game appearance for football. You look at Iowa's NCAA history. They were a three seed in 05-06, and that's the highest seed an Iowa basketball team had had since they were a two seed in 86 and 87. And then you have to go back to, you know, Lute Olson was a three seed in 80-81. Now, they were, they were four seed in 88-89. They were a four seed in 92-93. But that's it over the last, really, 30 years. Um yeah, Iowa's only been to one Big Ten championship game, but in the current construct of East and West, the Big Ten West division is by far the easier path to get to the championship game. And I think 2019 Iowa football is going to be in a position to be one of the best in the West. So I think the Big Ten championship game will happen before Iowa's a four-seater better in the NCAA basketball tournament. If you look at history, this is a no-brainer. Here's what gives me pause. Everything you said I agree with because it's right on the money. You'd have to be a nitwit not to agree with it. So as you were putting it together, I was thinking, could I – is there a, a legitimate contrarian opinion that's not just to play the role of contrarian? Here's the best I can come up with, and you tell me whether you think it has any merit or not. The best I can come up with is – in this division that I was now in, you have you have three coaches that are new to the league that all bring a level of charisma, that bring a level of um, presence, particularly on uh, the recruiting trail um, that didn't exist in this division before. Uh, in Scott Frost, uh, uh, you have um, Jeff Brom at Purdue. Oh, and and, uh, and PJ Fleck at Minnesota, mm-hmm. and and I think it. I, I think already when you see, you know, Fleck's are Fleck already signed the best the best class Minnesota's had in about six years. You look at what Jeff Brom and Purdue did. I mean, they went from 117th in the nation in scoring defense to 24th last year, and won a bowl game. Uh, and then we saw Scott Frost take a team. Uh, to a you know a thirteen and zero season at Central Florida, I I think I, I think that division is about to get a lot tougher, and we're not and I don't think I don't see Wisconsin going anywhere. I mean I, I saw a stat this week in terms of cumulative defensive statistics, uh, total defense, scoring defense, and rush defense the last five seasons. Alabama's number one. Yeah. Wisconsin's number two. Not with surprised. Three different defensive coordinators, man. Yep. yep. Then and then and we're not even talking about the guy over in Evanston, who he's a pretty good football coach. I mean, he's won twenty seven games the last three years at Northwestern. Probably never been done. So, that. I, I mean, then I look at the coaching roster in the Big Ten in basketball. I think I think Tom Izzo's on the downside one way or another. Um, I think Purdue's about to cycle back down in order to cycle back up. You know, Richard Pitino's had one good year out of three at Minnesota. 
We don't know what Brad Underwood's going to do with Illinois. He's got to replace a lot of roster now. They were going to bring a whole bunch of guys back, but now they've got just um, yeah, some they more attrition. Got a commitment from the top Juco point guard, but yes, a lot of attrition. That'll help. Yeah. But Illinois seems to be the annual. Mm-hmm. How many years have you? This is We were saying this when you and I did a morning show. It's been almost 10 years now. Boy, Illinois has always got those guys on the bench who are going to be great next year. Hey, how many times are we going to say this about Illinois, John? Yep. It's going on freaking 10 years we've said this about them. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what Indiana has as a, as a new head coach. We don't. We think we kind of thought Indiana might have gotten the better of right. the two coaching deals. Maybe it's between them and Ohio State. Maybe it's actually the other way around now. Okay. So when I, when I look at the coaching roster in the Big Ten in basketball, even we already know what they have in the Big Ten in the, in the East in football. But I think in, 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 in the West, it, it's – demonstrably better and maybe the road there isn't quite as cut and dried uh, for a school like Iowa in football as it was even two or three years ago now that's the best contrarian argument I can come up with I'm not even saying I agree with it so you tell me whether you think that has any merit or not no I like it I I think that um, you know Minnesota and Purdue might be two to you know two years away from whatever their stride is going to look like and Nebraska might be about that away as well, so I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that opinion. Uh, I just you know if if Iowa basket Iowa basketball does have something to work with, um, we'll see just how much. I mean this you know Isaiah Moss this past week saying that he's going to go and through the M- NBA process and that's fine and he's going to be told that he's not ready and. He'll either be back at Iowa or if he just doesn't want to be in college anymore, whatever, whatever, whatever. whatever. We're all going the other direction because this last year was such a disappointment. They do have some players to work with, and and Patrick McCaffrey comes in in a couple of years, or not this coming year, but the year after that as well. But I don't don't think there's the gauntlet yet in the Big Ten West that you're maybe proposing, uh, you know, just a general elevation of play across the board. I think there's still a window. But that, that was that wasn't bad. I know you looked for the contrarian angle, and that wasn't bad actually. Um, I do. I, I agree. By the way, I still agree with your take on it. But I will say, based on what I just laying this out, you, you made yourself feel I better. This, no, I think it puts even more of an emphasis on the importance of Iowa's next football coaching hire. Yeah. Now, I don't think the West will retain all those guys. I, I think I think Fleck, especially Brom. I think I mean Braum would have taken the Tennessee job this year if they would have offered it to him. Mm-hmm. And Braum's a Southern guy. Braum, Braum, I think I don't think he's coaching at Purdue in three or three to five years. Mm-hmm. But with with Fleck there, Frost there, the 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 program that Wisconsin has established now for the last quarter century, I think it does put a lot of importance on who Iowa hires to replace Ference when that time comes in the next four to five years, probably. Uh, race car passenger asks, there's a lot of big question marks at several positions right now for Iowa linebacker, wide receiver, running back, special teams. If I was going to win nine or more games this coming season, which of these groups needs to have a big year? I, I don't know that I can pick just one, but if I if you made me pick one that I could guarantee was going to have a big year, I'd choose linebackers. Agreed. I think, I think they're going to have a semblance of a running game, even with you know a, an offensive line that's green, 
but I, I think if the, if you can't stop the run, you've got no chance. And as we talked about last week, I do have some concerns with Iowa's ability to stop the runs with these five, six new names at linebacker. So that would be the answer for me. You nailed it. I mean, we uh, didn't we do this exercise a couple of years ago here on the podcast when Rudock was about to start for Michigan and um, or no, it was the year after Rudock started for Michigan and um, and Bethard was going into his final year at Iowa. And what did we find that Iowa averaged about 27 points per game when Jake mm-hmm. Rudock started? and about 28.5 points per game when C.J. Beathard started. And then we went back and found pretty much during the Ference era, they pretty much averaged between 26 mm-hmm. and 29 points per game, period. Yeah. So that's pretty much what an Iowa offense is. Some years it looks – some years they get there different than others, but that's usually about where they end up. So the question becomes, do you get enough stops on the other end so that that's enough? And I think that's – that's where the linebacker contingent comes in in your in the in the answer to that question. So I agree with your conclusion. That falls in next one to um, Jethro, one Hawk fan. Um, with all the talk of the offense personnel, the offensive personnel finally getting the Brian Ferentz offense down, will we see an offense that will crack the top fifty this year? I would say no, because not a. Not many Iowa offenses in the Kirk Ferentz era have cracked the top 50 with regards to yards per game. I certainly don't think that will happen with points per game. But I, I do will say that, you know, that first year of the Greg Davis era, when the nomenclature changed, the playbook changed, what they were calling the plays changed, the route ladders changed. 2012 was horrific. This last mm-hmm. year, Iowa offense, it was not good. And I do think that the familiarity will be helpful with the nomenclature, that adjustment period. Also, Brian Ferentz's first year as an offensive coordinator. Greg Davis had been an offensive coordinator uh, you know, at least a couple of decades by the time he got to Iowa, if not more than that. So that should be helpful, but to ask or expect an Iowa offense to be top 50 in the nation, um, I, I'm not saying this because you shouldn't want it. I'm just saying history tells me that's asking a bit much. I, I assume we're talking in terms of yards. Yes, that's what I assume. Yep. Okay, so when has Iowa done that in the Ferentz era? Obviously, 2 Did they do it in 04? I mean, they, 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 they did it in 05. They, they did it in 05 or 06, I think, 05. actually. Actually, it was 06. Okay. The 6-6 six and six year. Um, Which wasn't a good season. Wasn't, right. Was not a good season. They've rarely ever done that. Um, I think I actually have those numbers in, in a spreadsheet somewhere, uh, and I don't think the numbers are good. I think I think you have – I think when you have a program as established as, as, as Iowa's, then you know how a game is supposed to look if you're for you to likely win it. And, and so I think it's more rather, – rather than look at points per game and yards per game, if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm looking at red zone efficiency and turnover margin. That's mm-hmm. what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Because a, ga- a game has to look mo- – not all the time – I mean, there's outliers. Sometimes Iowa may lose a game 12 to 10 and may win a game 35 to 31. All right. So there's there's individual outliers during the course of a 12 game season. Right. OK. But by and large, most of the time. All right. So, you know, you'll have that game where you light up Nebraska in their own crib last November. And then you'll have a game where, you know, um, somebody hits a three run home run in the bottom of the ninth at State College and you win six to two. All right. 
those are outlier games. Most of the time in this era of Iowa football, the game looks a certain way when Iowa wins. And so if I were an Iowa fan, I would, well, when Iowa wins against good quality competition. So if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm looking more at red zone, red zone efficiency, particularly uh, touchdowns in that part of the, in that part of the field. And then our turnover margin, uh, because that's how we play the field position game. You're going to love this. Since 2001, Iowa has finished 101st or worse in total in total offense ranking five times. Wow. They've, fin- they've finished 50th or better four times. The last wow. time the last time they finished better than 50th was in 2006 when they finished 27th. Which the means four- they went 12 and 0 a few years ago without a top 50 offense. Uh they were 72 that Yikes. year. So wow. the the years in the Ferentz era where they've had a top 50 offense, 0102, 04, I'm sorry, 0102, 05, and 06. And the interesting thing about those years, 01 regular season, they won six games. 05 regular season, they won seven games. Mm. Or actually, was it six? Because they they think they won the uh, Outback Bowl that year in 05. In 06 regular season, they won six games. It's not the offense with Kirk Ferentz. It's the defense. You look at total defense rankings for Iowa during that time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine times since 01 have they been in the top 25 on defense. That's what this program is built on. Mm. Okay, moving on. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Uh, Does playing Wisconsin early in September as the first conference game benefit Iowa in this case, or would they be better off with the schedule they'll have in the future of playing them in the final week since these are both developmental programs? I think think both teams will be better teams in November, but I think Wisconsin's got a chance to be pretty good by the end of November. They return a lot. I just assume get it over with early before everybody's got everything down. But we're talking into September, and being how veteran Wisconsin is, I don't know that there's. A, if you're going to play Wisconsin, I don't play them first week or second week of the season. But that also means that you have your own foibles at that time too. I think the general rule is you're right. The general rule is you'd want to play them later in the year. Um, this particular year. This is a unique Wisconsin team where they were, they have to replace so many pieces on defense. 
And offensively, they're bringing back everybody. I mean, this is going to be one of the best offensive lines in the country, not just in the Big Ten, in the country. Uh, You're talking about uh, the best freshman running back in the country last year, and now he's going to be the best returning running back in the Big Ten. And then you saw Alex Hornibrook. What what we're waiting to see, that game against Miami in -hmm. primetime, really a road game against the number one turnover-causing defense in the country – and, dude, he looked like, you know, Dan Fouts throwing against uh, the Seattle Seahawks expansion team. He just freaking lit them up. Now, was that his coming out party? Was that an outlier? We shall see. But if that was his coming out party, uh-oh. So, you know, I, I would have – most of the time, yes, I'd rather play them later in the year because they're a developmental program too. It just so happens that this is the one year you're catching them coming back with more offensive firepower than they typically have. And that's why I don't think it's an advantage this season. That was from Derek DeVries. Uh, Scott Steepleton asks, which program has a coaching change first? The reason doesn't matter. Iowa football or Iowa basketball? I assume he's meaning head coach. Um, I think football. I think, um, you know, three, four years and, and Kirk will step down. Uh, I, I think that Fran will be around longer than that. So I'll go football. We're going to disagree here. I think it's basketball, and it's not even close. Pregnant pause. Extrapolate. Um, you know, you know, you know, my wife does counseling and those sorts of things, right? Okay, and she'll tell you anytime a couple comes in and says. We're staying together for the kids. They're doomed. Here's what that really means every time. What it really means is he's staying with her until someone he thinks is prettier shows some interest in him. And he is, she is staying with him until someone she thinks is kinder and, has, and, and is more patient and is a better listener and has a better job pays attention to her. Never works. He's your basketball coach. When we talk about He's not going anywhere after next season. What's the reason we say that? Probably, buyout. yeah, buyout. It's buyout. Yeah. buyout. That's why. That's that's the that's the coaching equivalent to we're staying together for the kids. When it's about the buyout, then when that's your primary reason, that's a shotgun wedding marriage of convenience. Um, so, I think it's the basketball coach. Could be. Could be. Um, what current Big Ten coaches will not be with their teams in 2021 football season? So, 18, 19. Tw- so, four seasons from the four, four seasons. Four seasons now. hence. You already said you didn't think Jeff Brown would be around. We could I don't see, think he'll be around. We could see P.J. Fleck moving on. I think Scott Frost is a lifer uh, if he's successful. Um, you know, we both have mentioned three to four years for Kirk Ferentz. I don't think Pat Fitzgerald is going anywhere. By the way, have you seen the pictures of their yeah. new football facility? That's li- that is lit, bro. That looks nice, doesn't it? Yeah, so that you know, is also you know the, the Minnesota that Player Center they have. It, it's phenomenal. Sweet too. Yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, that's a great view of Lake Michigan. Which you know, for three months out of the year, it's an awesome view where there's actually water out there and not ice. So enjoy that. But I think he's going to stick around. Lovey Smith will be gone. Uh, he might not. He might not be here in a year. Um, James Franklin probably sticks around. He's had opportunities to go elsewhere. 
Um, Mark D'Antonio, as long as he's not forced to leave because of you know he'll scandal. be gone. You think he'll be, he'll gone. be gone? Yeah. Of his own volition, he's, or he's, one way or the other, he's sixty-five now. I think he'll be gone. Oh, that's true. He is. He is getting longer in the tooth there. Urban Meyer just signed the contract extension. I think he'll be gone. Jimmy, or that'll be like his last season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jimmy. I think. Or is he? Or is he? Jim now, Steve? Uh, he's always Jimmy. But but when uh, I get mad, it's like when your mama called. Uh, yeah, I know. I've noticed. I've noticed. That's why yeah. I said it. When you get mad, you know, when you when your mama called you by your first and middle name, you know uh-huh. you're busted, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, so he's always Jimmy. When I get pissed during the game, it's Jim. Yeah. But I, I think that, um, you know, he's moved his whole family here. Whole family is here. He loves it here. On the other hand, I think it's clear. I think it's pretty obvious if you don't think about Jimmy's career. having His brother having it over on him that he's got a Super Bowl ring and he doesn't. Sticks in his craw. So my answer to that question would be if they've won a national championship by then, no. I could see that he probably thinks, I, I came home, I got the program back on the right footing, and you know I gotta go, I'm going to go add the last line in my resume. If they have not, then I think he will still be here. Over under at six and a half. Six and a half seasons? No, six and a half coaches here or not. Six and a half coaches gone that are here right now by 2021. Um, well, D'Antonio Meyer, I think, will be gone. Brome, I think, will be gone because I think he'll be successful and move on. Uh, so that's three. Uh, the Illinois coach, Levy Smith, Levy. is gone. That's four. Um, I mean, Pat Fitzgerald's going to get pride from, you know, the coaching office at Northwestern from his cold, dead fingers. He's going to yeah, die. He'll, in he'll be the AD. He'll go from that to the AD. Day. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Paul no, Chris isn't, isn't going anywhere. So I'm at four right now. Indiana, I think, will be making a change. That's five. I think he's in over his head. Uh, so that's five. Maryland Rutgers. Uh, I could see DJ Durkin. If he's sick. DJ Durkin will either be fired or will have one or two good seasons and take well, another, good another job. Good going on, yeah. Yep. So that's another guy. That's six. And Chris Ash, seven. Over. I'm over. Yeah. Six and a half is a good number, though. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Premise. This is and that that Dan Brockett asks says premise. Seemingly every year, our assessment of a major position group or dimension of offense or defense is way off. Question: If one thing surprises us this year, good or bad, what do you think? It will be. He says he thinks the running game will be way better than we should expect. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's one thing that's wet I me. Mean, last year, we all thought I was going to have a great, uh, a great running game and a great offensive line. Well, something kind of funny happened. By the time you got to game two, you didn't have your three-year, your three-year starting fifth-year senior tackles, and instead you had freshmen. Uh, so that kind of hurts you right there. But if somebody, if one group surprises or one thing surprises this year, okay, I'll tell you this. This can be my running every year. Iowa actually does has playmakers at wide receiver that can beat you consistently over the top. I'd be surprised by that because we just haven't seen it. Um, I think the running game is going to be good. I agree with you. Uh, I, I will be surprised if Nathan Stanley has a better season statistically than he had last year or, or approaches it. 
because that's not been the mo of quarterbacks at iowa what's been the mo is what we saw last year another guy was tremendous in his first year as a starter and then we see the numbers tend to deteriorate from there so i will be surprised if that trend doesn't continue yeah and i'd like to be i'd like to be pleasantly surprised you, you know, you, you need to go back and listen to a podcast I recorded on Iowa's bye week last year where I basically blew that fallacy apart. So listen to that, and then you'll be surprised. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Caleb Google asks, do you think Ahmad Wagner will play football at Iowa or go to another school? Um, I don't know about going to another school, but here, here's what I'd say about Ahmad Wagner in football. I don't know, about, what was it, 14 months ago, 15 months ago, we were all excited about this transfer receiver coming to Iowa from New Mexico, this kid from St. Louis who was really, really fast. Oh, man, this is great, just what Iowa needs. Remember that guy? Remember his name, Steve? (laughs) Refresh my memory. Who are we Uh, talking about? I'm sorry. I don't remember him either because he didn't play, and he just left again. All right. For whatever reason, whether it's just Iowa has the most sophisticated passing scheme on planet Earth, newcomers. I'm pretty, conf- I'm pretty confident, given how successful first year quarterbacks are in their system, that's not the reason. I'm pretty confident. Well, then, uh, the, the first year receivers rarely make an impact. Rarely. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's everywhere in America. I mean that that's what that's how you know Calvin Calvin Ridley at Alabama is special. The amount of f- dominant freshman wide receivers, whether they're five stars or developmental guys, it is very rare. It's same thing in the NFL. Rookie receivers, by and large, don't step right in and dominate the league because so much so often they have to learn to read defenses on the fly, and yeah. and, and put that timing down with their quarterback. So. That's a tough position to have an immediate impact at. So no, I I don't I don't think I mean uh, for some reason Ahmad Wagner gets two years to play football at Iowa if he stays there. I, I still don't understand that. I mean he's played three years of basketball, and I thought you get four years to play five. And I so but everyone's saying he gets two years. I I don't understand that. So no, I, I don't think he's going to be any impact on the Iowa football program. If he says he wants to play at Iowa this coming year, great. But I don't think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to do much just because looking at the Ference era, those guys don't typically see the field. Now, granted, he's 6'8 and you know 250 pounds and runs well, but uh, I'm not counting on it. Um, Jason, that's where I that's where I was going to. That's the only point I was going to make to that question is, can he high point a football? If he can do that, he can be a DH in the red zone for you. Can you I do remember, that? yeah. I mean, I, I mean, he did in high school. Um, I remember Scott Chandler early in his career. Uh, I can't remember if it was his freshman year or not, but they, I, I think it was five, six, seven times they tried to high point him in the end zone because he was six seven. He was so tall. Yeah, I can't remember it ever working, but I know they tried it a lot. So yeah, I mean, I, I could see you trying to do that. That'd be cool. And if you know what, if the guy can do that, that's a pretty nice weapon down there. You go down, you post up, you jump up, and you catch it. 
Well, you're going not to mention six foot one cornerback. Not to mention if he can do it even once or twice early in the year. The attention against, you draw. Yes. Now he's on film. You, then once you get into conference play, every we'll team in the league over. Like, yeah. Yep. That opens up some options for other people. Yes. No. No. No doubt about it. Um, Jason Solis uh, or yeah, Souls asks or says. I wish Iowa would schedule more marquee out-of-conference games. Northern Illinois, North Texas, and North Dakota State don't help. We played Arizona a few years ago. I would say this. With nine conference games, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of change. You still you, you, you need seven home games. Uh, at a you know Big Ten or Power Five university, you, you have no business in playing any less than seven home games, unless the one of those games is at like a Jerry World, and you're guaranteed to make just as much money. And even then, you're taking money away from your local vendors in your town who get one less Saturday a year. And those those seven Saturdays a year, I bet in for many businesses probably make up twenty five to thirty percent of their revenue for the entire year. Just from those seven Saturdays. So Mm -hmm. I just don't think you're going to see it. Uh, You're right. For all the reasons you just said. And I was listening to uh, a show, Rick Neuheisel, the former uh, UCLA, Washington, Colorado coach, co-host. And and he was ripping Michigan for buying out of a series with Virginia Tech. And the reason Michigan did that is because on that same schedule, we had to we're playing Washington home and away. The idea that you play Washington and Virginia Tech and then nine conference games, that's suicide. Mm-hmm. And he said, "And he said, well, I know Michigan's playing Washington, but why are they chicken? Why are they ducking Virginia Tech? Look at USC. They play Notre Dame and they play Texas. They play Notre Dame and they play another – and they played Alabama a couple of years ago. To which if I were on that show, I would have asked him, hey, Rick, how many appearances in the college football playoff has USC made so far? I'll give you a hint. It's a low yeah. number, brah. You know why it's a low number? Because they're playing Notre Dame and Texas. They're playing Notre Dame and Alabama. And then they're playing nine conference games. That's right. why. Right. That's why. USC has been better than Michigan the last two years. They can't make They've had they, the number one overall pick in the draft might have been their starting quarterback. You can't do that nowadays. Now, one caveat. If and when they switch it to, they switch it to an eight-game playoff. Maybe at that point, strength of schedule becomes more of a factor that because you're only, you know, because there's only going to be there's only going to be so many undefeated and one loss teams. Right. OK. Right. And then if we're going to start putting two loss teams regularly in, a, in an 18 playoff, then strength of schedule becomes more of a factor when you're trying to compare who those teams beat and then who they lost to um, when they have two losses or maybe even three. Then it becomes more of a factor. I do wonder, is it time for Iowa to go to Iowa State? And, and you know, and, and Michigan State and Notre Dame are taking a two-year break. And that, and, and that allows Notre Dame to play Michigan for two years. And I think Michigan State's going to play Arizona State. Why not go to Iowa State and say, hey, we're just going to take a two-year break. And you guys are going to go schedule. And Iowa's going to go schedule – I, I don't know. Maybe it's, um, you know, uh, Texas or Texas A&M or somebody like that. Why is, is that a possibility? Hmm. I actually think that it would make 
I think doing something like that, A, for the you know reason you're talking about playing other teams, fans might like it, but B, I think it would add more juice to when you reconvene Iowa-Iowa State and maybe take mm-hmm. a few years off and then a few years on. It just puts that much more emphasis on that game. I, I'd be all for that. So, interesting. Um, but you're, but you're, if you're going to play nine games and you're playing your in-state rival, you're an idiot. If you're not yep. scheduling two wins in those other two games. Totally agree. Uh, one thing I want to say here before we get to uh, our last question, which is kind of a non sequitur, but important for Steve and I. And I'm glad somebody asked it. Uh, shout out to Zach Johnson. Watched. I was able to watch a lot of the um, the Masters online coverage where you can watch Amen Corner. You can watch holes 15 and 16. Um, and I was watching Amen Corner on, I think it was Friday. And Zach Johnson, his caddy's name is Damon Green. He's also a professional golfer. They were, I think it was 11 potentially. And and Zach wanted to go for the green. His caddy said he didn't want him to go. I don't know if you saw this or not. But it was an amazing dialogue that was captured. Um, that, that they had all the dialogue right there online. So stuff you, one of the more in the helmet type things I've ever seen in golf. And it was just a fascinating thing. And I, and I followed Zach a lot. I, I love watching him. He, he's just a graceful man. Um, just You never see him throwing clubs. You don't see him being disrespectful. Um, still to this day, his speech when he won the British Open had a, had a big impact on me at a time where I probably needed to do some self-reflection. He's just a class guy. And we don't talk about golf much in this podcast, but he's an Iowan, and he and he, and he represents the state so well. And um, you know, didn't have the finish he wanted at the Masters, finished in a tie for thirty six. But it's always great to watch him go around the track. All right, with that, now next up, this is kind of like the only non sequitur here for this whole podcast. What are your expectations for Solo, a Star Wars story? <laughs> It's funny you say that. My uh, no one, my son and I just watched the uh, the new trailer that debuted today, just before you and I taped this. Really? Yeah. And um, here's the thing. I, I think now this has been a very troubled production. I don't know how much of our audience yes. knows about this, but um, the 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 people responsible for the Lego movie, Miller and Lord, which is Brooke, yeah, uh, which is brilliant. We're brought on board to do this. And uh, I don't know how far they were into the, in principle shooting. Uh, pretty far. But you know, the Disney people just took a look at either their behavior or what they had shot so far and kicked them to the curb right in the middle of the production. And Ron Howard, who's a very esteemed uh, filmmaker, obviously, was brought in to finish this and to clean it up. Now, I'm a little concerned because this happened uh, in a movie that, you know, I, I pretty much had been looking forward to since I used to get up at 7 a.m., set my alarm as a five-year-old boy, and I'd get up at 7 a.m. in my Super Friends underoos mm. to, get up, to get up and watch Challenge of the Super Friends on WOI Channel 5 at 7 a.m., which is still one of the greatest cartoons of all time. It was the first time all the Justice League heroes against all of their arch villains. You remember that. You know what I'm talking about. For sure. Okay. That was a force of nature when we were kids, right? So I've been looking forward to a Justice League movie for 40 years. And uh, a combination of Warner Brothers didn't like the fact 
Zack Snyder was making another dark movie. His daughter committed suicide uh, in the middle of production. So him and his wife, who make films together, they bowed out of the movie. And Joss Whedon, who did The Avengers, was brought in to finish it. And when you have two filmmakers that are that are alphas, that are very good at what they do, they're so different, though, they're going to cancel each other out. And you see that when you see the Justice League movie. It's a very disjointed film. It, it attempts to take two different visions and put them together, and it's an unsatisfying experience. And my fear is the same thing will happen with Solo. Now, this second trailer that came out tonight, the vibe, meaning if you what you envisioned a, a Han Solo prequel story to be, the trailer presents it as they nailed it. But the guy they have playing him, I just don't think is any good. I, I mean, I, I don't think he has the mannerisms. I don't think he has the charisma. No, I understand he's walking in some very big shoes, you know, and so I, I have some empathy. I'm, I'm giving him a handicap. And even with my empathy, um, it, it looks like a guy doing an impersonation of a guy doing an impersonation right. of a young Harrison Ford. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Okay. And it and it's uncomfortable. And several of the other people that are in the film, Donald Glover, who plays Lando Calrissian, in the in this trailer again, he just freaking nails it, mm -hmm. John. Nails it. And and it makes the guy playing Han Solo look even worse. Yeah, more diminished. Yes, when the other people are nailing it. So I suspect that we'll think it's very well made and we'll think it's fun. And He'll be such an eyesore distraction that it will drag the rest of the movie down. I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I'm Well, th there were a lot of stories that, I mean, not stories is not the right thing, but things that leaked out on the shooting of this movie that they had to bring in some acting coaches for the actor for playing, yeah. playing Han Solo. Um, so my, my expectations for this couldn't be any lower. My excitement level for this is shocking even to me being that it's Star Wars and, mm -hmm. and I am some, you know, I'm ambivalent on even watching it. My 15, soon to be 16 year old daughter, who is a Star Wars nut that I've turned her into one in three years. She has absolutely zero desire to see it. She almost doesn't mm -hmm. want to see it in protest because she doesn't think that they should even try to make this. We both agree, she and I, that if they were going to do something like this to to break off a canonical character of such gravity as a Han Solo. Then you, you know the the gravity characters from the original trilogy. You mean to be Solo, Leia, Luke, or Ben Kenobi? We both agree wholeheartedly they should have done a Kenobi movie first, and because I fear that this thing isn't going to be well received, and they'll scrap a Kenobi movie with uh, with a Ewan McGregor as a Kenobi. I mean, I'd have lined up mm -hmm. around the block to watch that. I'm not interested at all really in this, but I will still go see it. And so will she. I will drag her there so we can just go escape and have that and share that. But I, I'm with you. Okay. So now let me add this one quick thing though. Many of the same things were said about how troubled the Rogue One screening or Rogue One production was. And that's one of the and that's one of the top four in my opinion ever. I agree. And and in fact go back and watch the Rogue One trailers and you'll see several scenes that aren't even in the movie. Mm-hmm. And what really what really takes Rogue One to a different level is when they initially tested the film, 
audiences thought, eh, it's okay, but blah. The, the, the final two minutes of the movie might be as good of two minutes as are in any Star Wars movie. And it's the, and that's the scene where, for the first time, this generation gets to understand why we thought Darth Vader was such a badass when we were kids. That scene where he just opens a can on the rebels in that, uh, in that, uh, in that chamber, and then it feeds right into the CGI version of mm-hmm. a young Princess Leia, that was added much later. They were done filming this movie. They put those that, that two minutes of that of, of, like an epilogue. Of, of footage. Yes, they put that in once when, when test audiences weren't impressed with the movie. And that two minutes takes a pretty good movie and makes it great. So I, I that's I'm holding on to some level of optimism in that we heard much of the same thing about Rogue One. But I'll tell you, even in this second trailer, the guy they have playing Han Solo just doesn't do it man it, it's 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 like when you know if you, when if it's like if you, when you grew up and your and your mom and your asked your mom and dad hey can we have lucky charms for breakfast and they went to the store and they didn't even buy like the the local like high V brand stuff still tastes pretty good they didn't even buy like the high V brand they bought like the, the, the it says sugary sugary stars in a black and white box you know what i'm saying mm. okay that's what this guy's performance as Han Solo comes across as. I will say that the teaser trailer didn't do it for me, but when I saw somebody made an edit to the teaser trailer with Beastie Boys sabotage, I actually got interested in the movie. I'm not everything's jo- better with the Beastie Boys and sabotage. It really is. It really yeah. is. And just as you've all been listening to here the last few minutes to this podcast, uh, even we sound better. To with Beastie Boys sabotage Andres. I mean, can I get a witness? I, listen, pick what, pick any politician you hate, and just turn on three minutes of them talking <laughs> to the to sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Will totally change your mind. I you know, it, it, it's akin to almost anything is funny. Of course, we can't go to Godwin's Law right away, but almost anything is funny when you have yakety sax playing underneath it. It just, it just, yes. it just makes it lighthearted. Um, All right. uh, Thanks for listening to this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.